If you could create one powerful change at work, what would it be? Would you change the way oncologists view your role and develop a successful head and neck cancer program for patients before, during, and after their treatment? Maybe you would change the way your clinical director values your services and gets them to approve funding for tools and continuing education the same way they fund PT and OT. Or maybe you would change the way oral care and thickened liquids are managed at your facility and be the reason behind reducing rates of aspiration pneumonia thanks to the protocols you implement. Whatever the change may be, I have good news. You can make it happen in the next six months. You're invited to join the Changemakers Collective, a strategic mentorship program Starting this June, I'm looking for medical SLPs who want to make some serious change at work or in their community, the kind of change that has a ripple effect. Throughout the six-month program, you'll develop a tangible goal and receive step-by-step guidance to achieve that goal. Don't have a specific goal in mind yet, but know that something needs to change. Our mentors can help you iron out the details. This includes 18 group mentor calls for advanced ASHA CEUs, templates, a private community, and high-touch support for high-level goals. Go to www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers to learn more. Again, that's www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers. On this episode of the Solio Pride podcast, we have two Sarahs. Sarah Charney is a speech language pathologist at Mayo Clinic, Arizona. She is an NCVS trained vocologist who specializes in the professional and singing voice. Her other clinical interests include the management of upper airway disorders, chronic cough, and inducible laryngeal obstruction, and swallowing and voice disorders related to head and neck cancer. Sarah is dedicated to education and community outreach, serving as the director of the Student Observership Program at Mayo Clinic Arizona, co-leading her local laryngeal dystonia support group, and co-hosting Out of the Voice Box, a podcast aimed to educate graduate students, singers, and individuals in related fields by interviewing experts on a wide range of voice-related topics. Sarah has also been featured on several national platforms, including ABC News, to discuss the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the field of speech-language pathology. Her research interests have focused on the investigation of rare clinical voice diagnoses, interdisciplinary education, and novel vocal therapeutic techniques. The other Sarah is Sarah Davis. She's a medical speech and voice pathologist who specializes in working with patients who have voice, upper airway, and or swallowing disorders including those with head and neck cancer. She has over 13 years of experience in medical speech pathology, performing video stroboscopy, acoustic aerodynamic assessment of voice, fees, video fluoroscopy, and a variety of voice therapy methods, dysphagia therapy, and treatment of ILO, EILO, VCD, as well as chronic refractory cough and irritable larynx lungeal hypersensitivity. Sarah loves research and has completed two research studies of her own, one published and one awaiting publication, and she has presented her research locally and nationally at conferences. She is extremely passionate about her specialties within speech pathology and works closely in collaboration with other medical professionals to prioritize achieving the highest level of evidence-based patient care. Sarah is also the founder of VoxFit, a medical speech pathology and voice consulting service striving to educate, coach, and inspire occupational voice users and transform their voices and lives. Sarah strongly believes in the power of collaborative care model, as well as educating patients so they fully understand their diagnosis and the purpose and importance of recommended treatments. Welcome to the Swallow Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. 
This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Hello, Sarah and Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello. 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 Happy to be here. All right. Thanks yes. for having us. Yeah. So we've got two Sarahs on. So Sarah, <laughs> I'll let you introduce yourself first. All righty. I'm happy to be here. My name is Sarah Davis. I'm a speech pathologist, but I specialize in voice swallowing, head and neck cancer, and airway disorders. I also am a founder of VoxFit. And the reason I'm here with Sarah today and how we collaborate a lot, we collaborate on research, but also within our, our local support group for Dysphonia International, which is based on laryngeal dystonias. And she'll tell you more about how this came up, but that's how we have collaborated over time and still do. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I'm Sarah Charney. We spell our names the same way, S-A-R-A. Yes. <laughs> um, and yes, uh, we'll, we'll tell you a fun fact about that if we have time. But um, but I am a speech language pathologist too. I work at um, Mayo Clinic in Arizona, um, but I actually live in Baltimore now. Um, so it's been quite the journey, but I'm still working via telehealth. And I also specialize in voice and swallowing disorders, particularly as they pertain to head and neck cancer and that management and upper airway disorders. I also have a podcast out of the voice box. Um, and so, and I love to do research. As Sarah said, we do a lot of collaboration with that and support groups. And we're just both a bunch of voice nerds. Yeah, I love it. I know. I was like, clearly, I could probably call one Sarah with an H, one Sarah without an H, like <laughs> Teresa with an H. Can't even do that. Like, Not us. Sorry. I, I'm, yeah, I'm Teresa with an H, and you guys are Sarahs without. Okay. Exactly. So, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, um, if you guys want to share a little bit how about how this podcast came to be, because this is such a unique topic, and I'm so excited to talk about it. Like, I get so excited when I see SLPs just doing such cool stuff, like out of the box, like you said, but just something that, that a lot of just isn't on a lot of people's radar, but is so within our scope of practice and so within our toolbox really. And, and why aren't we doing more of this? So yeah, give a little, give a little spoiler for me. Yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll start. Um, so as Sarah mentioned, we help lead our local Arizona Valley of the Sun laryngeal dystonia support group, which again is part of that bigger dysphonia international group, previously known as National Spasmodic Dysphonia Association, if people are following along, NSDA. Um, and then one of the active supporters of this group is actually a friend of one of the leaders who has a voice disorder herself. She has laryngeal dystonia and tremor. And years ago at one of our fundraisers called Walk for Talk, this friend who is a dentist actually approached me and asked if I'd be interested in speaking at this big dental expo conference and talking about voice and kind of what we do. And, you know, he's very inspiring as he has such a passion for this and because of his dear friend. And, but to be very honest, at first I couldn't really think of why a bunch of dentists would want to hear from a speech language pathologist. So at the time, we didn't really pursue it any further. Um, but anyway, fast forward, Sarah Davis joins our group and the two of us are approached 
again about doing this and i have to give her credit here she was like let's do it uh in true sarah davis fashion so we started talking about it together <laughs> about the relevance of how kind of this world of speech pathology could relate to the dental field and how we could kind of bring these professions together to collaborate with each other and we realized we actually do this already and there's more that could be done um so here we are preparing for a three-hour course that we're going to give in april at this dental conference <laughs> Yay, I love it. Uh, and it's so silly, right? Like, I, I think one thing, um, so I used to live in Buffalo, and I went to the University of Buffalo for graduate school. And I, I can't remember when this was, I, can't, I remember if it was when I was living in Buffalo, but there's some like, world renowned, like oral care researcher at the University of Buffalo, like, while I was so interested in my work, and I was like, this dude, like, literally is like, right down the hall from like, where <laughs> I did all of this. Stuff. Like, why do we not talk to these people more? Like, yeah, he was a dentist, but like I started reading his work and I was like, this is so relevant to what we do. And like he talked about like oral health and saliva and swallowing and how it impacts the whole oral, you know, oral microbiome and all that stuff. And I'm like, why are we not friends with these people? Why? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. I think they play a very important role within our pathway. Um, I'll kind of let Sarah talk about what what we came up with in terms of what this model is and maybe where the overlap is. Yeah, perfect. exactly. Yeah. So related to the model that we think is appropriate in SLP and dental collaboration, um, the fact that patients see dentists once a year minimum, often every six months, ideally, and this is a regular person, uh, head and neck patients, we hope that they would see their dentist more often. And that's also a place where we'll be educating on the importance of that as well. But um, again, this this relationship of a patient or person with their dentist, knowing that they see them likely every six months, and um, again, not really likely seeing other doctors that regularly, uh, we, we know that there is a role for this constant communication and that dentists can pick up because they easily do on voices on obviously oral cancer screenings and things like that on airway related um, concerns anatomically but also functionally in people's complaints um, but again where this started was more related to voice and our goal is to help dental providers recognize voices of people with voice disorders if we're just focusing on the voice part of this because so many people don't understand, okay, what is dystonia? What does it sound like? What does a spasm sound like versus a tremor? If we're talking then vocal tremor, um, what does what do other more laryngeal kind of pathologies and dys dysphonias sound like? What does that even mean? And just, again, the dentist seeing the patient consistently and also being able to have constant conversation with the patient, although often that drives us nuts as patients because we can't talk with our mouth open, right? But they can pick up on a lot of these things and then they could more quickly advocate for these patients um, to see specific specialists that maybe the patient would have had no idea about uh, related to they can get help for this. There's a treatment pathway for this. You don't have to live with this voice disorder your whole life and never have treatment. Um, and then again, yes, we'll get deeper into airway and also head and neck cancer and dental providers play a huge role in that as well. But we really feel like, um, and then also to Trismus, 
TMJD, coughing, choking, because, um, you know, in dental procedures, even just basic checkups, check-ins, cleanings, there's water involved. And, you know, they want you to switch, but sometimes there's some swallowing involved too. And, you know, there could be easily things that the, even just the hygienist could pick up on. And the more educated any provider is, the better we advocate for patients and appropriately refer. So uh, it was pretty obvious to us that when this idea popped up, uh, we then realized, all the millions of ways when we just started brainstorming that dentists and SLPs collaborate pretty easily. Uh, we also did a lot of uh, research, kind of lit review as well. There's not a ton out there. We're inspired to start um, our own as well, maybe as part of our course. And we'll talk about that later. But just in general, there there hasn't been a ton of collaboration in the past with these two provider groups. And we definitely see that there is a need. So we're excited to be a part of this endeavor. Love it. I'm excited. Just go, go ahead, Sarah. Oh, yeah. And so I think there are some kind of more obvious and maybe less obvious ways that dentists can help identify SLP or ENT related issues. So we were kind of talking about this, Sarah and I, and you know, probably the most obvious reason is for head and neck cancer, right? So identifying lesions early on, like looking in their mouth and saying, how long has that been there for, right? Is that painful? Um, or if someone's having oral pain or with or without swallowing and identifying that really early on and then ordering biopsies when appropriate, right? So they're that kind of first line of care for that often. Um, and that can also go for people who are, or patients who are going through head and neck cancer treatment or, and can kind of be part of that screening process before, during, after, right? Do they have a recurrence? Those kinds of things. Um, and then, you know, I always think about with the speech pathologist, we are often a first line with some populations that maybe we don't diagnose, but we see, right? So for example, I feel like this has happened unfortunately more times than not. Um, in our voice centers, we get a patient there saying they have trouble swallowing with no known you know, cancer history or anything like that. They are starting to have some speech difficulties. We look in their mouth, they have tongue fasciculations and we're like, ooh, okay, have you seen a neurologist yet, right? And so we get them into the right place. And I think to Sarah's point, that is kind of what we're trying to help other providers, right? And this could potentially expand to more than just dentists, but since we're talking about dentists, um, they can at least start to be aware that these things exist, right? So like, like Sarah said, voices, they can start to tune in and say, hey, how long has your voice been like that, right? Because maybe they can identify, help identify a laryngeal cancer earlier, right? Or because they see patients so regularly, they will get to know those patients and start to notice that's, that's not your normal voice. Have you noticed that, right? Or pick up on, you know, during small talk, like, yeah, I've been doing these things. And they just start telling them complaints. And they're like, you know what? Have you seen an ENT yet? Have you seen a speech pathologist? You know that you can actually get that taken care of, right? So again, just being that advocate for patients and pointing them in the right direction, I think is a big role for, for dentists. And it's really the education that comes first. Yeah, yeah, that's such a great point. Like you think about this as someone that, you know, usually people have a pretty good relationship with their dentist because you do see them so much more regularly than a lot of other doctors to begin with. So they are a great first line of defense of identifying 
things that may be out of the norm or if things are getting progressively worse to be able to note that. But, you know, knowledge is power, right? And it's like you you might be able to note that, but is a dentist going to do anything with that information? Is it just going to go in an EMR to die? Like, is it going to actually, you know, get get referred to the next, you know, next level of care? So, yeah, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, is there a specific model that you guys have developed or, you know, I would love to hear like really what your end goal is with in, in teaching dentists this information. Related to development of a model, not quite have we developed one, but we have a lot of ideas on the pathway. And obviously, like we mentioned, it starts with education and knowledge base in terms of just foundational stuff. What does this sound like? What does this look like? How can we collaborate without stepping on toes? Um, what is the what is our role? What is their role? And just establishing that relationship is huge to start us off. But then also helping that helping the providers in the dental professions to understand that there is a relationship. There is a huge collaboration. There are ways that we can start. And even one of the research articles we found started as as young or as as soon as school, grad school SLPs and med students or dental providers when they were in their schooling we're collaborating and really finding that relationship as beneficial for the patients, but also the providers. And then if we started that young quote in the careers, could that really help the patient care model? And then as things progress and the, the providers and the patients, like, what does that even look like? I'm sure that looks awesome in the future in terms of what we can do, what we maybe can prevent, how we can advocate as time goes on, right? And so, so again, with our, our goal is to educate and to prevent, I would say, the, the feelings of hopelessness that might occur in these patients related to voice, upper airway, and swallowing head and neck cancer because a dentist could also be an advocate for these patients. And again, they see them more often. And if someone is advocating for these patients versus them just feeling hopeless, that's where we know we've played our role and we're continuing to, to grow this relationship and make a difference. So I would say in terms of an exact pathway, I think as we keep going with this, since it's only begun, I'm sure that we could create one. And I hope eventually that this course we create maybe something that even dental students could could somehow view virtually or even we could be a part of more in-person activities just because again the earlier we start I feel like the better and uh, the relationships could continue onward um, throughout the providers lives and then also obviously the patients yeah and I was just gonna add on to that um, I think What's also interesting is that the there are many different dentists or types of dentists, right? And I've been actually learning more about this since we've been collaborating on this. Um, there's, you know, general dentists, pediatric dentists, orthodontists, gum specialists, um, oral pathologists, so surgeons, prosthodontists, root canal specialists. And even within those specialties, there's subspecialties, just like in the SLP world, right? So. For example, there's uh, a speech pathologist, uh, not a speech pathologist, there is a <laughs> dentist in our area, in the my old area in Arizona, uh, who is even more highly specialized in particularly oral pain and oral facial pain. Um, so oral medicine and oral facial pain. And so I actually collaborate a lot with her for TMJD, 
So there's a lot of things like that. And then prosthodontists, for more obvious reasons, for our head and neck cancer population, palatal lifts, palatal obturators, speech bulb, you know, pharyngeal obturators, things like that. We we rely on our prosthodontists a lot to help optimize our patient's swallow function. So having that relationship with them is really nice. Now I have a couple that I can refer to and and offer to my patients because sometimes there's limited role for us at a certain point until they're able to help that structure, right? So being able to collaborate with them in that head and neck cancer population, but then also, like Sarah said, with our voice patients, people who are suffering from TMJD, that can greatly affect their voice. So I think knowing that there's different specialties too, and that there might be different models and different roles. But like Sarah said, starting from the education level in graduate schools and dental schools, because, and there are some papers that do start to talk about this, which was exciting for us to to see. Um, and some of it was more in like the pediatric realm. So I think there's, there's room for yeah. improvement with the maybe older populations. But I, I think about this all the time. And Sarah and I were chatting about how when we collaborate with ENT residents or medical students, right, they're learning our role from the beginning. And then they know, first of all, that we have an important role, <laughs> at least we think so, right? And that they can rely on us for certain things. We we aren't just like a another type of ENT. No, we are we have a totally different role in their care and they're both equally important. And so having dental students and things understand that speech language pathologists exist and that we don't just work on lisps, even though that's important too, but it's not the only thing we do. So knowing the breadth of what we do can also help just bring awareness very, very early on. I actually like that Sarah just said breadth because I was going to (laughs) mention breadth um, because it's easy to skip over airway disorders, but if a patient comes into the dentist and they're constantly crazy clear in their throat or they have this chronic cough or they mention they can't breathe because it feels like their throat gets tight and their their vocal folds are shutting or you know they describe things like that and if we teach dentists about the roles that we play in upper airway disorders this patient could get really quick help for something that could be something that lasts for years and years and scares them because it involves airway it could be something like a quick fix because they'll see us quickly, hopefully, and then it's a somewhat quick treatment program. So I think that it's very important never to forget airway, including chronic cough and throat clearing and irritable larynx, laryngeal hypersensitivity, all that stuff. And that is often uh, easily just ignored, right? Even by patients, they just think, I'm just doing this. This is what I do. Actually, we can help you with that, right? So that's a really important thing to educate dentists about. And I think I'll just kind of mention too, how can SLPs further educate dentists? Obviously we mentioned educating them on different voice disorders and part of our course, we're going to involve samples and photos and videos. I have a friend who's a, she's a prosthodontist and um, she mentioned that at these conferences, people love videos. And although they're always in people's mouths and they do surgery and things, they're not specialists on the vocal folds. So she said, put as many videos in there as you can and things like that. So we're going to certainly be showing the lyrics and the vocal folds and, and vibration and, and all these um, you know, correlations between what someone sounds like and looks like on the inside. Also, 
helping them to know what treatments can be done related to voice therapy, manual therapy, dysphagia-related therapy, breathing therapy, and then also surgical-related procedures that potentially could be helpful, medialization, injections, Botox, uh, superior laryngeal nerve blocks, all depending on the patient, of course, but just this little bit of education, which obviously they would have likely never been um, taught, could really help them to guide the patient and advocate. Um, also, like we mentioned, possibly speaking at other conferences or even providing like a virtual training or something like that to continue advocating and providing education. But one of my favorite topics is vocal health in general and providing education to any occupational voice users on why it's so important to prioritize your voice. So I know we've been talking about patients a lot and relationships, but dentists are occupational voice users. They do talk all day and often behind a mask because even before the pandemic, dentists were always wearing masks um, in their work, hygienists and dentists. So teaching strategies to help them with vocal longevity related to vocal health, but use patterns, efficiency, things like that. Um, Cause as we know, when we're in the chair, they're always trying to talk to us. And so giving them tips and tricks for health and efficiency, I think are very, very important just because again, they're occupational voice users. And um, also, just in general, the more education we can focus on and, and just share our passion in a, a non, again, stepping on toes kind of way, the better. Um, also related to head and neck cancer, like we've mentioned, there are a lot of ways that we can help these patients they see with even oral cancers, but also other ways they can pick up on additional cancers within the head and neck. And even just maybe they might have a patient that's got a history of head and neck cancer and no, quote, complaints about it at that present time. Maybe they're, I don't know, a few years past. It's usually those 10 or 12 years past, unfortunately, have the late effects. But let's say they don't have any pressing complaints, but the dentist can see they have lymphedema. And do they know they could refer um, for help for that to either us or some kind of a lymphedema specialist, right? Those little ways that we can just um, provide insight and just help the, the pathway, the relationships, advocacy, the better. Love it. I love it so much. Yeah, I think oh, one thing I wanted to go back to other Sarah, I hate to say Sarah and other Sarah, but Sarah Charney <laughs> said is, is one thing that I, I found so much with just working with my son too is how close pediatric SLPs and dentists work. Like, you know, we have kids with tongue ties and all sorts of things like that. Like they, they work in and they know exactly what they do. They know, and same thing, they, there's so many differences obviously in, in the types of dentists, right? Just like there's different types of SLPs and there's different types of ENPs, but I was so like impressed with my son's pediatric SLPs that knew all of the different dentists to go to and have different procedures. And then once we saw them, they referred us back to different SLPs. And I just was like, this is like such a beautiful intercollaborative effort here. And it just got me thinking like, why do we not have more of this with adults too? Because you don't just outgrow your mouth at some point. Like it's, <laughs> it's still, you know, you still need to have these relationships. So um, just, just one thing that, that made me think more about that. So. Yeah, let's, um, if, if we can, dive into some actual research, some specific research, if you guys can share some. Yeah, um, so, you know, related to what you were talking about, Teresa, um, there, there's a study out of Brazil, actually, that was looking at the interdisciplinary interaction between 
dentistry and speech language pathology, both from kind of a preventative and curative treatment. Um, and so it was for specifically early childhood caries. So kind of to your point, there is research out there talking about how that can optimize their care, right? Because not only can a dentist work on the structure, right? Um, and so helping with their actual teeth and and uh, fixing the structure. And then the speech pathologists can help reestablish the function, right? So then they're working on speech and these are for primary teeth, right? So they're still learning language. They're still, you know, very early on in their development. So even helping with mastication and swallowing. Um, and so they were kind of talking about how it's also an education piece, right? So this both the speech pathologists and the dentists can be an active role in the preventative nature, right? So education on oral health and oral hygiene. Um, and so that was kind of one of the ones for kind of an, the early childhood that was already out there. And then like Sarah and I were talking about before, there's a, a couple other studies and I'll, I'll let her maybe dive into those um, in terms of the the students at, at the student level. So yeah, go ahead, Sarah. Okay, yeah, related to, there's one by Silva et al. in uh, 2014 that really just kind of hones in on the responsibility that we have to work together collaboratively because we both work with the mouth, right? And there's not a lot of education or collaboration between these disciplines currently, as we know. And the purpose of that study was to clarify importance of interdisciplinary work in healthcare, SLP and dentistry, as both we work in the stomatogonathic system. And often we don't use that word, but that's kind of, you know, mouth to stomach, which we are familiar with. Um, another one I really liked was, again, more pediatric, and it was with children with autism. Anderson et al. Uh, 2017, dental students were better able to identify characteristics associated with autism because the SLP was kind of teaching them and coaching them on what that means. And then for those um, children with autism who were nonverbal, the dentists and dental students were able to learn the effectiveness of using, let's say, PECS, the picture exchange communication system, things like that that would help with communication and reduce anxiety of these um, children and help them understand what was about to happen. And there was a part in there about establishing routines. So the SLPs, although I don't work with children with autism, I really love to see the SLP teaching the students in a previous, like prior to the dental appointment therapy session, the routine of the dental appointment so that when the child showed up, again, they had less anxiety, they were familiar with the quote routine, and then it was a, a happier situation overall in general. Um, those two I thought were very interesting. And of course, uh, there's, there's two related to head and neck cancer but it's more just a review of the relationship, how the roles do crisscross, and just kind of information about head and neck cancer. So it wasn't really like there's huge studies on this collaboration. It was kind of just showing, yes, we both, and if you want to comment on those, Sarah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, I was just going to say, um, yeah, there's one of the studies that Sarah's alluding to is Abed, and I was actually 2023, so pretty recent. Um, but yeah, going through as kind of a review of all the treatment and modalities and side effects and just emphasizing the importance of the 
of the dentist knowing what all these side effects are so that they can also collaborate with head and neck cancer surgeons and also SLPs um, to help even provide education to the patients on maybe the right products that they should be using to address like xerostomia or mucositis and things like that. And because they know so much about tissue and how things react and what's going to be the most sensitive for their teeth and their gums and long-term care for that, that they can really, really play a good role in that. And so I think that was a, a nice review and also just kind of an advocating type of of article too. And it was also a really good review. If anybody wants to read a nice review of head and neck cancer treatment and things like that, um, it's ABED Abed um, 2023. Uh, he, uh, I believe, I, I'll have to get the article name. Sarah, you might have it right there. Um, but it's a, it was a really, really good read. One thing I wanted to mention too, this article by Pinsky, 1977, so recent, but I thought <laughs> it was cool because it's kind of exactly what we've mentioned about um, how this relationship is there, the things that it could focus on, although it mostly focuses on articulatory deformities, they call it deformities, deformities of the upper lip, hard palate, cleft related things, dentures, and how to quote, speak again after having dentures for more of the older population, um, SLPs acting as uh, liaisons between dentists and patients for understanding improvement, um, a holistic attitude, team management, but then encouraging joint research and educational ventures. And they say that at the bottom of the article in 1977, but we're kind of fulfilling it now, which I think is really cool because there hasn't been much of that fulfillment of what they wanted to do in 1977 since then. So even though it's an older article, I like that we found it and we're kind of helping it hopefully to come full circle by the idea of one of these dental providers at one of our dystonia meetings. So it's, I like yeah. to see things kind of go full circle like that. And then, and then be there for, for being a little bold and going for it, even if it's kind of a wild idea. Um, and then on the, the realm of support groups, just another way, you know, if dentists know there are support groups, not only for head and neck cancer, but also dystonia and other things, that we, we lead and we're a part of, or we can at least encourage someone to find a group, then they also can teach those patients, hey, I understand, you know, you're dealing with this. Did you know there are groups where everyone is like that too, and you can have a community? And so we're going to provide these, these dental providers with information about the support groups too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I just, I, I love all this. I, I think a few things I wanted to, to know. I, I was talking to somebody who is sort of at the end of their research career. She's a prolific researcher in like her 70s. And, you know, I just said, where do you hope that you're, you know, where do you hope your research will go someday? And she's like, my biggest fear is that no one will will run with it. No one will take what I've done so far and continue down the path that it deserves. And, and so that made me think of this poor 1977 oh, yeah. article that probably the researchers <laughs> like, anybody, anybody want to, anybody want to run with this? Anybody? So, um, Aww, yeah. And, and yeah. then another point I wanted to make was my, I actually had a, a dentist appointment for my son just yesterday and he, you know, we, we go to a, a special needs dentist and, and everybody's wonderful there, but it's, 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 uh, it's very calculated. It's very, 
they've thought of everything. Like the rooms are not normal dentist rooms. It's, you know, do you want to hold your son? How do you want to do the, do the cleaning? Does he like lights? Does he not like lights? Does he like noise? Does he not like noise? Like they're like, we have documented that he, you know, has autism and has sensory needs. And, you know, we have a silent drill if he can't stand it, like all, like all the stops. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, and it was crazy because usually he does like loud noises, usually likes the sensory. So I was like, he'll probably love the drill or the, yeah, I'm calling it the drill, but like the cleaning toothbrushy <laughs> thing, whatever. No, I'm not, a <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but the noise, did, but the noise did scare the crap out of him. So she's like, okay, no yeah. problem. We'll switch to the silent one. But there, it was just, it was very methodical in the way that they thought out so many things of like, how are we going to get these kids the cleaning and the care that they deserve? And like, if you would have told me that a dentist appointment with my son would be that easy and seamless. And we would leave there like with me, not in absolute tears. Like I would have told you you were nuts, but like, it's, it's amazing what, what a little education can do. And I don't mean a little education in a downplaying way, but like it, it made all the difference in the world. Right. Wow. That's amazing that that exists. Also makes me very happy to know. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I have like just massive anxiety over, you know, these, these normal quote unquote yeah. appointments that you or I go to, but like for my son or somebody with, with severe sensory needs, like it is, it can be traumatizing, you know, mm-hmm. but they just knew they, they had a mil- they had a million solutions to any problem that could have arose. It was just really, really fascinating. So. So amazing. Yeah. One other thing I thought of too, you mentioned did, at the I, very beginning. Oh yeah, go oh. there. Okay. I was going to say, you mentioned at the very beginning oral care, and we don't have this study cited, and it could be the person that you mentioned, Teresa, but the correlations that are now being shown with that oral microbiome and cognitive health and Alzheimer's and things later in life. Yeah. And again, although I don't specialize in cognitive treatment either, by just kind of encouraging and in our presentation, we likely are going to have a huge section on oral health. And they are, dentists are specialists in this for sure. But just kind of showing the correlations between, you know, swallow safety and oral health and the microbiome orally, also um, reducing risk of aspiration ammonia. But then there, the correlation with cognitive health by keeping your mouth clean, right? And so um, there is, I know, new research on exactly that. And so for me personally, anything I can do to promote my own cognitive health and of course, oral care, you know, those things, it's just, it's simple little things that obviously make a huge difference. And I think that that would be a huge part of educating these dental providers and patients. Um, Just another little snippet of the benefits of oral health, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the point about the chronic aspirators. I forget if we are already mentioned that population, but I think that is such a big population that the dentist can help yeah. with because we always talk about what are the highest risks for aspiration pneumonia? Well, look in their mouth, right? So um, if they can be part of that education also and and encouraging that extra care with that population and also just being aware, you know, if they're using... Like they're spraying water in their mouth and they're coughing and choking. <laughs> they should probably know if they're chronically aspirating and how to help with that positioning, et cetera. Um, also, just before I forget that other, the title of that other article is Dental Considerations for Head and Neck Cancer, a Clinical Review. 
So anybody interested in getting a nice little review of everything, that was a that was a good read. Interesting. I don't know what made me think of this, but probably the whole oral care oral care conversation is. I just remember doing so many fees in nursing homes on patients that just, or resident nursing home residents that just had the worst, worst, worst oral care ever. And to the point that like no amount of brushing was going to help, like it needed actual yeah. dental intervention. And I just feel like there's got to be more of a conversation about how do we get routine dental care in these nursing homes with these patients? Because we talk about you know, aspiration ammonia is the leading cause of death in nursing home residents. Why are we do do we not have more dentists involved then if, if this is such a prevalent problem? You know, we can blame the CNAs for not brushing their teeth till the cows come home, but when the problem is much bigger than that, um, yes. yeah, it needs to be a bigger conversation. So yes, and, and, and then also... have a mobile dentist. Yeah, company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and also when Christmas is a concern too, and the patient can barely open their mouth, how are they expected to perform that oral care? And obviously, that's the role of the dental provider to to provide that insight. But of course, we can help with that too, and and emphasize the importance of that. If that patient also were working on swallowing with, we need to make sure they can have a clean mouth before we're trying to work on swallowing, right? So the collaboration components of this relationship are pretty obvious, I feel like, in, in most realms, voice probably the least, but um, our passion is for helping them to to hear those voices, to know maybe what to do next, and just kind of help with the advocacy. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I love this, you guys. I, I, I love SLPs on a mission. I love SLPs on an advocacy mission, especially to other professions. And this is just great, great work. So any any final thoughts? Anything else we didn't cover? What do you think, Sarah? Stay tuned, I guess. Hopefully we can <laughs> tell you guys more about what we're doing with, with this idea, at least. And our talk, or I guess our three-hour course, is in <laughs> April, and in Arizona, we're very excited about it, Western Western Regional Dental Exposition, and I guess from there, we'll see what happens, but I really hope there's some kind of a, a way we can provide an educational platform and not just stop the idea, so I will certainly, you know, and even the next time I'm at the dentist, I will hopefully speak about this to my dentist and just just kind of relay that, hey, there's a role for this relationship. And did you know there's certain voice disorders? They sound like this and just kind of <laughs> planting the seeds, I guess. And obviously, that's what our role is a lot of times. But you got to start somewhere. So I would just say advice, just be bold and, and see see what we can do. Right. Yeah, and I just I just wanted to thank Teresa too for reaching out to us and this is really fun yes. for us to talk about and chat about and glad that we finally got to meet too virtually. I know, I know you guys too. Yeah, I, I know Sarah Davis, you've been on the on the podcast before and it was like right after your last episode that I heard you guys were doing this talk and I was like, Oh, let's let's come back on and talk about it. So yeah, thank you so much. And I think you know, you guys are just such a great example of SLP is just out there spreading the good word and, and doing the advocacy work and, you know, getting getting it known what we really are capable of doing. Because I just firmly believe that we 
have such a powerful profession. We can help so many patients. So thank you so much for, for doing the work. So thanks, you guys. Yeah. Thanks for having Thank us you for on. having us. You're welcome. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at teresarichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.